Hi, I'm Sebastian Bolney, and this is The Sustainable Fashion Wingman, the podcast exploring the brands, innovations, and careers in responsible fashion. Hope you're enjoying listening to the podcast and following along. Why not invite your friends to follow up too? There's a lot of episodes coming your way. And if you'd like to connect to like-minded professionals or interested in careers in responsible fashion, why not link with me over on LinkedIn and follow our James Byron talent page there also. Now, one of the reasons this podcast came about was the inquiries I often have about how to start a sustainable fashion brand. And although my expertise lies in fashion business and skills, there are people and services out there who are the specialists when it comes to the sustainable nitty gritty of business processes. Today, we have the pleasure of hearing from one such expert, Shannon Law, the founder of Factory 45, a service that came about to support startups and businesses in becoming more sustainable and ethical. So what does it take to launch a sustainable fashion brand? And how does Factory 45 help entrepreneurs do just that? Well, let's find out. Hi, Shannon. Great to catch up with you again. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Good to see you again. And now it's just gone 5.30 here, uh, but I know you're based in San Diego, so it's early morning for you. So I'm really pleased you've taken the morning to talk with me again, as I know some of the listeners will have a very personal interest in how to start up a fashion brand in a sustainable way. Before you started at Factory 45, you originally had your own brand, though, didn't you? And was that a sustainably focused brand as well? It was. That was my first exploration, I guess you could say, of sustainable fashion. Um, In college, I was like a bargain bin, fast fashion junkie. I was known for like going to a Forever 21 or H&M, getting a dress, wearing it once that night, and then throwing it into the back of my closet. Like I was quintessential fast fashion and really didn't think anything about how my clothes were made or what goes in, what what happens to clothing after you're done wearing it. Um, And so when I started to explore the idea of starting my own brand, I quickly found out how damaging and uh, both environmentally and just from a human humanity reasons and um, and that led me to kind of explore what it would mean to start a sustainable fashion brand rather than a traditional or conventional fashion brand. So have you always worked in the fashion industry? No, I was a journalism major in college. Um, did I never even worked a retail job. Uh, I would so it was it was one of those things where I was, traveling the world. I After college, I graduated during 2008, which was like peak of the recession. Um, so I very much uh, was not ready to get a real job. Also, no one was offering me a job. <laughs> so I decided to uh, explore the world, bartend my way around the world, uh, so to speak. And then um, once I got back to the States, I linked up with a another girl I had met when I was traveling and we said, you know what, let's let's try to start something. And that's when we started uh, our brand Revolution Apparel. So I imagine it was quite a learning curve. It was the first kind of foray into the industry. Absolutely. And that's the funny part about it is we kind of were like, you know, assuming we would fail, right? Like you start a, a, a business and you're like, okay, this is my first entrepreneurial project. Like, 
it's not going to be successful, but we're going to learn from it and then we'll do something else. And it actually was a massive success. And so that learning curve and just opening the doors and sort of my eyes to what the fashion industry looked like led me to what I do today, which is Factory 45. And I essentially help people start sustainable fashion brands, knowing how difficult it was for me in the beginning to get those doors opened. So it was quite a successful brand. That's that's fantastic. And like you say, for an entrepreneur and a first business, it's not necessarily always that way. So what made you decide to change direction from running a successful brand to, to starting Factory 45? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think, you know, at the time, it was so hard to communicate why we would kind of close down our doors. We were the highest funded fashion project on Kickstarter, on Kickstarter, you know, in the history at that time. Um, We were featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, just like this really cool experience. But I think part of being an entrepreneur is being brave enough to know that success can be duplicated and it may look different and that's okay. And just because something feels successful and feels like you should keep doing it in the moment doesn't mean that you have to, you know, that, that there's not something better on the other side. And so we were very much burnt out by the end. We had quadrupled our production run. We um, had done the sustainable fashion tour of the Pacific Northwest of, of the United States we were just, we had complete entrepreneurial burnout. So I ended up selling my portion of the business to my business partner. She rebranded and then I went on to to start Factory 45. That's an interesting furry into it from, from where you got from mm-hmm. originally. Um, now with Factory 45, you're helping other brands and startups with, with all transitioning even towards more sustainable and ethical practices. And you've been doing it since around 2014, is that right? Yep, 2014 was our first. And did you find there was a large demand for the service back then as compared to now? I think, that's a good question. I don't know. It's hard to say because it was also, you know, from a marketing standpoint, I had to get myself out there and, and make sure people knew about Factory 45. At the time in 2014, online programs were not what they are today. So there wasn't as much uh, saturation in the market either. It was kind of like Factory 45 was kind of like one of the first of its time um, in terms of fashion programs that you could take online. So um, there was definitely enough demand over the years. Every year I doubled or tripled our growth. Um, so, so I think it, part of that was just more people finding out that it's an option to them. Of course, of course. And do you think sustainability has taken on a new kind of more of a, more of a life these days than it had back then? Do you think people are more kind of aware of the needs for sustainability today than they were back in 2014? Oh, a hundred percent. And it's interesting because when, when I was starting my brand, that was 2010, 2011, you would say sustainable fashion and it was like an oxymoron, right? Like you wouldn't use those two words together. Um, And people didn't really know what it was. There was much more communication and messaging that needed to happen to get the consumer to understand what you were talking about. Nowadays, I would say, you know, the average person at least has heard what sustainable fashion, you know, heard the word sustainable fashion, has a concept of what it is. Um, so that's been really cool to see just the shift in the industry itself. And I, and I attribute that to the small designers, the independent designers who are 
really trying to do this sustainably and ethically and communicating that, you know, why it's important to their customers. Yes, of course. And, and, and important to yourself as well now. Uh, and you talked a little bit about how you got into or first started thinking about sustainability. So in general terms, why is it so important, do you feel? I just don't think we have another option anymore. I mean, we are literally drowning in clothing. Landfills are overflowing with polyester. It takes over 200 years to decompose in a landfill. I I think we have to start thinking about the end life of the garment. Um, we have to start thinking about what the the fabrics are made from. You know, are they natural fibers? Are they synthetic fibers? All those things because you know, we were just talking before we started recording, there are fires and a major heat wave in the UK. That's like unprecedented climate change, global warming, all of those things. And fashion is a huge contributor to the changes in the environment. So unless we all sort of start buying less, buying better, uh, I think we're all going <laughs> to, I don't want to go doomsday, but it's not going to look good. <laughs> no, indeed. It's a surprise to us in the UK here uh, when we started seeing wildfires across London, even um, and temperatures, mm -hmm. temperatures reaching 40 degrees, which is, it's not, it's not usual. Definitely not for the UK. Um, that's for sure. So you work with a lot of businesses and entrepreneurs and you've been doing so for, you know, since 2014. How many do you have in your portfolio today? So since 2014, we've worked with over 500 entrepreneurs. Um, right now, we're working with about 150. Um, and that's on a uh, sort of a rolling basis. That's quite a few. That's quite a lot of, uh, a lot of work to take on. Uh, now, you're based in the, U the U.S., as we mentioned. Are most of these businesses and entrepreneurs that you're working with, are they in the U.S. too? Or do you work globally? It's open globally, but I would say the majority, I would say probably 75 to 80% are in the U.S. And then we have other entrepreneurs in Australia, the EU, uh, UK, um, yeah, all Asia, all over. Do you find there's a, a difference in the kind of mentality or approach to sustainability and kind of the awareness of it in different countries? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that the that Europe is way farther ahead of us. And I know that people in Europe would say like, oh, the U.S. is farther ahead than us. But I do think like the education for for the U.S. customer has, in, in terms of sustainability, has gone slower. Um, but, you know, ever evolving, I always say, I think, you know, organic food happened, right? That movement. And then we got into kind of clean beauty and then I think fashion is the next. So we're slowly kind of making that educational turn. So eventually kind of catching up as well and, and, and yeah. coming into line with the rest of the, the world, which is good. And obviously it's a, it's a much larger country, a larger market. So there's a lot more, mm -hmm. again, a lot more opinions as well and perspectives. And sustainability is something that is all about education as well. So it's getting that into the right hands and in front of the right people as well to understand it, and especially the consumer. So I can understand how that is a, you know, we all know it's not a fast process. No, it's not. Now, when a business founder or an entrepreneur comes to Factory 45, how do you assess how responsible they are and what more they would need to do or can do? Most of 
our entrepreneurs are starting from scratch. So that gives us a great opportunity to sort of help guide them into what it means for their brand specifically to be sustainable. Um, I always say up front, there's no such thing as perfectly sustainable. Anytime you're making something new, it has an impact. So at the same time that, you know, sustainability is so important, fabrics, manufacturing, your notions, trims, all that, you can't sacrifice the design, the fit, the functionality of the product. Marketing a sustainable product, the sustainability piece can never be your primary marketing tactic. It's not the first thing you use to market the product. The product has to hold its own. So that's sort of where we start is figuring out where it makes sense to incorporate sustainability into the brand, knowing that as you grow, as your MOQs can go higher, as you can place more orders, um, expand your fabric line, that um, you can incorporate sustainability in more ways as you get bigger. Yeah, completely. And, and that's something we, we hear quite a lot is trying to retrofit sustainability into a business is, is very difficult. So starting mm-hmm. off from from the beginning, starting off from scratch, with that as your primary focus is a much better way to do it and obviously an easier way to actually be able to succeed in that in that area. I understand you take them through, I had a little look at your website, uh, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, and understand that you take them through five key stages in development, starting from sourcing and right the way through to preparing for launch, because obviously it's quite a complex process of, of starting and running fashion brand. It's also great to hear, I just wanted to say as well, that you obviously consider the, the longevity of the brand as well in terms of scaling up, which is which is a good thing to look at. Can you tell us a bit more about the five stages that you take them through and why have you found them to be important or valuable steps in a startup's development? Yeah, so I'll start with the end goal, which is something that I teach that's a little bit different than the traditional fashion startup model is pre-selling. So the goal is instead of using your own savings or taking out a loan or looking for investors, you pre-sell your product before you create it. So that way your customers are purchasing it before you create any inventory and they're financing it for you. Reduces your own financial risk. It also, even more importantly, helps you test the market. So it makes sure that there is a market fit, a market need for the product before you ever go into production. And that, you know, from a sustainability standpoint too, make sure that you don't have, you know, products just sitting in a warehouse, right? That can't be sold. Um, So knowing that's our end goal, we start with fabric sourcing, which is usually the part of the process that takes the longest, finding your fabrics, your materials. Then we move into audience building, which is so important. It's the most overlooked component of launching a brand. People think that they can just, you know, create a website or put, do a Kickstarter campaign and they'll sell all these products. And that's just like not, that's not how it works. So you have to build your own audience. We focus on that very heavily. Then we move into product development and pre-production. So pattern making, sample making, we connect everyone with um, vetted pattern, pattern and sample makers, vetted manufacturers to start building relationships then we move into marketing, e-commerce marketing, making sure that you'll be able to sell what you're creating. And then the last module, like I said, is going to market with a pre-sales campaign. That can be through your own website like Shopify. That can be through crowdfunding like Kickstarter 
or um, I'm now teaching a method called the virtual pop-up and that is through Instagram. That's amazing. I can't emphasize enough how important brand positioning is for startups. And, and you're right, a lot of businesses do just think they will produce some products, put them on Instagram or website and it will start to sell. But obviously what people are selling or what people are buying isn't necessarily products as such. It, it is a brand, it's a story. And I, I, I puppies get told off for repeating this over and over again, but it's, it's very true. Um, how do you kind of measure... I know you just mentioned there about um, getting the product sold to a consumer or, or a customer audience base without actually, you know, producing products in the first place or initially. How do you measure the impact of that before so they know whether to actually continue with a certain line or, or direction? Yeah, so in most cases, um, I... I really recommend honing in on your first collection, right? I don't recommend doing more than five pieces to start. Um, and so in doing, let's say you're doing a Kickstarter campaign, the the end goal is very clear, right? You have to hit, hit a certain amount of money, your, the goal that you set in a certain amount of days. Um, and so once you do hit that goal, you'll be able to see, okay, I sold this many of this dress. I sold this many of this shirt. I sold this. Oh, I didn't sell any of the pants. All right. We're scratching that from the, from the line, or I only sold three, whatever it is, you have very clear numbers in front of you. And then depending on your margins, you can produce more inventory so that you can continue selling um, after your campaign, which is another thing that I always say Make sure your website's ready to go after your Kickstarter or your pre-sales campaign so that you can continue pre-selling. Um, and then, yeah, you just you survey your the people who pre-ordered from you for sizing. It's all like this is why pre-selling is so awesome because you have all of the information right in front of you. You're not guessing, right? You're not going to your factory, your production partner and saying, well, I think I should probably do like a hundred smalls and uh, maybe fifty extra smalls. Like you know up front what you need to produce. So you're talking about presenting a, a range um, and a range of SKUs of sizes and colors, for example, in a small collection, and then seeing who wants to pre-order it to establish which of those sizes, which of those colors, which of those items were the most pre-ordered uh, and does that so does that mean that the customer they're kind of positioned as a pre-order they know that that's what you know that they're buying into a new startup and it's they're kind of part of the research a hundred percent yeah and and that's why a lot of people you know for a first launch they'll offer pricing that's a little bit lower knowing like it's kind of a gift to these people who are willing to invest in them in advance, right? So um, I think nowadays, you know, I I went to a website the other day, like an eco-friendly swimwear website, and they're very established. They're, you know, they spend clearly thousands of dollars on Instagram ads. That's how they got me. Um, but they did were doing pre-orders, and they're an established company. They have cash flow, but they're doing pre-orders because they want to make sure that they're going to sell what they are making. Um, so I think it's becoming even more of just a smart business move, especially for sustainable fashion brands who don't want to create waste. 
I love that idea. It's an incredibly smart idea and way of, of trying to understand your market, understand your audience, and again, cutting down waste, uh, whether that's financially or product-wise as well, because you're only going to end up selling what you've researched that you know you can sell. It's a fantastic way of doing it. Do most startups that come to you, do they need support in all stages, all these five stages, or do you find that some of them might just need help in one or two areas? I think that often they think they only need help in one or two areas. Like they're like, oh, well, I was like a marketing major or like I have my MBA. And then they realize like, oh, no, this is like a different, different beast. This is a different world. Um, so for the most part, and that's why we don't sell anything a la carte. Like it's just like you take the program, you're invested, you're all in on it. We don't sell modules piecemeal. Um because we know like once they get in it, they're going to be like, oh, right. Okay. This is why it's set up this way. And do you find that there's a common set of challenges then that startups face, especially when, you know, when they're thinking about sustainability? For sure. It's, it's the first is always finding the right fabric, right? Because there is just, there are less options when you talk about sustainable fabrics but again, you can't sacrifice the product itself. So it needs to be the right fabric for the product, but it also needs to be sustainable. So you're just like really narrowing down your options. Um, and then, you know, with minimums, there are often thousand yard minimums that you aren't necessarily going to meet as a, as a startup brand. So navigating those things. Um, and of course, we we help everyone negotiate and um, figure out, you know, the right fabric for them and how they can sort of get around some of those higher MOQs and, and find more sustainable options. Um, I always say you have to have your primary fabric. You have to have a backup fabric, especially now with supply chain issues. Um, you have to always make sure you have a backup. And are you introducing them to fabric suppliers, to mills? Yep. We have a whole database of um, over 100 uh, suppliers who sell sustainable fabrics, low minimums all over the world. Oh, that's fantastic. And the same with manufacturers, I assume. Same with manufacturers and same with pattern and sample makers. And where do you manufacture mostly or where do you find these manufacturers mostly? Most are in the U.S. just because the nature of the program is most of our entrepreneurs are in the U.S. I'm a really big proponent of localization. So, you know, if you're in California, try to find a factory in California. If you're in Massachusetts, try to find a factory there. Um, but with that said, we have uh, factory connections all over the world. Oh, that's really good to know. And do you find that there's any particular stage within your kind of the process of a startup that you that you think is kind of like the hardest when it comes to sustainability rather than just being you know trying to find a sustainable fabric for example is there any other kind mm. of area in the process that you think is that that startups and entrepreneurs are finding really difficult it's a good question i think it's often and i can say this from experience because when i was starting my brand I was such a purist. I wanted everything to be perfectly sustainable. Like, you know, we were spending like a dollar fifty on one like environmentally sourced wooden button when you can get them a button for a penny from China, right? So like for pl a plastic pe uh, button. So I think that is often a challenge is people will come into the program, they have these very high expectations for sustainability, and they realize, okay, as a startup brand, 
this may not be possible right now. But again, that's where we sort of guide where can we incorporate sustainability now in a way that makes sense. And then knowing like these are our goals as we grow to improve and, and incorporate sustainability even more. Oh. And do the brands that you work with, are they all at kind of separate levels in the market? Like, do you get kind of lower priced brands and, and luxury brands? Yeah, yeah, I would say they're all, you know, higher priced than like your average fashion, obviously. But yes, we have a range of, you know, uh, just luxury and, uh, you know, what would be described, I guess, as more affordable. Right. Okay. So you do have some more affordable kind of brands as mm -hmm. well. Uh, okay. Because I know a lot of people obviously say that they can't afford sustainability because mm -hmm. a lot of consumers understand or they imagine sustainable products to be too expensive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so they're looking mm -hmm. for more alternative, affordable brands. Um, do you feel that it's possible for a brand to be at a lower price range and still be sustainable or still be responsible? I do. I think that, again, it's about figuring out, well, so if, like, if you work backwards and you look at who your ideal target customer is and what the retail price point is that you need to match, right? So then working backwards from that, where can you, again, like incorporate the sustainability piece, but then maybe save money in other ways, um, whether that's des the design process, removing, this is another challenge um, where people, you know, they have this image in their head, they want all this, they want embroidery, they want block printing, they want, you know, all the things, the, the, the perfect trims. And then they realize like, oh my gosh, that's going to create a $500 dress or a $1,000 dress. And so where can you, in the design and product development process, you know, simplify um, to make it more affordable for your ideal customer. Yeah, of course. And do you advise that with brands that, you know, maybe you should try and come down in price point to try and tackle yes. that kind of fast fashion alternative? Yes, for sure. I mean, we're never going to meet fast fashion prices and we shouldn't um, mm. that, you know, for so many reasons. But um, yeah, I think that often we need to bring the price down. Again, you're a startup, you have no proven brand credibility yet. So it's just like trying to be luxury from the start is going to be more difficult than trying to bring costs down a little bit so that you can meet more of that uh, middle market. So it's best to, to get established first to really before you. I think of, so. Yeah. Right. Understandably. Well, Sharon, before we go, I just want to ask one last bonus question, which I think would be really helpful for people who are listening and brands who are in startups who are listening. What advice would you give uh, someone who was thinking about, you know, in the early stages of thinking about starting a fashion brand? What would you say would be the most important first step in getting started is? Figure out how you're different. Um, I have a whole YouTube video on um, finding your unique selling position, right? It, fashion is noisy, it's crowded, it's competitive. Figure out how you can not just be another t-shirt brand or another women's wear brand. What makes you special? What problem are you solving for your customer? Um, how can you niche down so that you really 
appeal to a specific type of person because the the more you're able to niche down, the faster those people are going to be able to find you. Um, I talk about this a lot, especially if I also have a podcast, uh, Start Your Sustainable Fashion Brand. So I talk a lot about this a lot in some episodes there, um, which you can reference, but uh, find out how you're different. That's great advice, definitely. And and like we were saying before, it's about selling the story, isn't it? So establishing yes. why you're different and selling that, not necessarily just more products because that's not what people are searching you for. Exactly. Yeah, yep. fantastic. Well, Shannon, it's been lovely to talk with you today and to find out more about, you know, it's a valuable work that you're doing with Factory 45, empowering businesses and the industry to be more positive and responsible in the work that they're doing. I'm sure many businesses and entrepreneurs will have found your advice today very relevant. Uh, so if anyone is listening that wants to learn more about Factory 45, you can find the website link in the episode description and I might even put the podcast link there as well. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Sebastian. And for those who are listening, this has been the Sustainable Fashion Wingman podcast and I'm Sebastian, helping you dress, live and work more sustainably. Mm-hmm.